Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 52, Carol Pearsall. 52, is that right? I don't know, it's been so long since I posted one of these, I can't even remember. I don't know what the hell's been going on. I mean, my house has been disrupted a little bit. The room I used to do this in was being painted, but uh, that's not all of it. It's just been, you know, summer. Dog days, no, it's not even dog days yet, it's just hot. And there's been a lot of shit going on, and I just got a canoe, and I like to put the canoe in the water, and I like to do that, I like to get outside, I like to do things, and, uh, you know, I also like to sleep, and I don't know what's been going on, I think I just haven't really been all that inspired to uh, post these. I I have finally lined up another interview, but uh, I did this one with Carol weeks ago, and I don't remember, I don't think there's anything timely on it that's because um, I mean it's timely enough she's rolling out this uh, new theater Fifth Wall uh, Productions with uh, Carol and Billy Christopher Maupin and um, it's going to be exciting I mean I don't know if you guys know who Carol Pearsall is I mean she was she started the Firehouse Theater Project and then got booted out of there quite uh, unceremoniously and uh we get into that a little bit, but we don't get into big details, more thematically, I guess. I don't really understand how people can start stuff and it, like, be their baby and then other folks can come along and kick him out. But, you know, I'm not going to presume to know the whole story. I only know Carol's side. And I like Carol. I've kind of known her off and on since the early 90s when I was a soccer coach and after-school program person worker at William Fox Elementary and her son Johnny was on one of the soccer teams there and uh, used to see her around and um, she was one of the memorable parents that was around at that time as was Paul Pasquale, the last podcast and then more recently uh, my girlfriend Morgan started stage managing through a bunch of different connections she had and the first play she took me to turned out to be what Carol was doing before. I think that was actually the African-American. I don't even know. It's, it was race at the November Theater, and I'm not sure what company was doing that. And Yeah, I could stop, and I could look it up, and I could start this all over again, but it's really not what I do. But I know Car- Carol was directing it, and then I saw um, Joe Insko up there, who is somebody I used to have feelings with. He's kind of popped up in various points in my life, and... I went to a party after the play and got to talk to Carol Moore and um, many of the local actors that we talk about were there, including Aman Shabazz. That's how I met him and ended up doing that podcast a while ago. So, you know, some of this, some of the way that I book these podcasts and some of the way I think about it is this just free association thing. Like I run into this person, I run into that person. Otherwise, the apple is just too big to bite. So of all the interesting people in Richmond, how do I pick So I just kind of pick from, you know, association to association. So um, Carol was in that line. And I actually tried to do this a few times before. And, you know, I don't know, just between work and all the other stuff going on. Had to cancel. There was weather, all kinds of stuff. But we finally did it. We sat down. And uh, I got to be honest, I... I'd just been painting that day, and I was inhaling paint fumes all day, and I was just kind of out of it when we were doing it, and it is, I'm not at, I don't think I, it's one of my best conversations, but Carol is really interesting, and there were 
things that came out that were very uh, prescient to me. The idea of listening. Listening. Something I have really been trying to work on. Legitimately just shutting my mouth and letting somebody else talk and not having any advice to give them or anything. Just hearing. And uh, that's at the foundation of uh, one method of acting that Carol's instructed in. And she will be teaching soon um, and there's information about that in the podcast but if you want to know more look up the fifth wall facebook page and find out and be on the lookout for plays that are she's going to be producing directing putting together and uh so yeah this isn't no crazy long it's just an hour it's nice and tidy so uh come on y'all let's just get this tantric thing going again let's roll on in Carol Pearsall. Talk like you're... One, two, one, two. Twist it. Well, I don't know if I want you to touch it. Do you want me to... <laughs> yeah, move in closer. It. That's better. Yeah. One, two, one, two. You are the black one. Okay. Go ahead, talk. Hello, Curtis. I'm... You want me to talk louder? I can talk louder. Oh, yeah, that's good. Okay. It doesn't have to be super loud, just uh, somewhere between, you know, um, dulcet tones and projecting a little. Just Okay. All right, and, and we're just going to roll. We are rolling, actually. I never did hit pause, so. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Um, well, so, Carol, I, uh, I just want to start off asking you about Fifth Wall. You just... You just started your own production company? Is yes. That what it's, it's a new theater. theater. It's a new theater company. We've actually been producing. We incorporated over a year ago, and we've been producing under the New Theater Project um, as a uh, uh, just a name that we held in mm-hmm. incorporation. We incorporated. And finally, we've gotten a board of directors, applied for our 501c3, and named it the Fifth Wall Theater. So that it, you're done with that other name completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. was that was a working a, title. A working title. Yeah. Fifth wall and what does the fifth wall refer uh, to? The fifth wall is the wall that's beyond the the other walls. The fourth wall. <laughs> the fourth <laughs> the fourth wall is the theatrical convention of the actors don't mm-hmm. cross the fourth wall and talk to the audience and in some plays they do. Right. So the fifth wall goes beyond that. And um, hopefully we'll have a theater. Our tagline is a theater without boundaries. So it's kind of like theater beyond boundaries. Excuse me. If the fourth wall is an imaginary boundary that everyone respects, uh, but sometimes it gets crossed in yes. the name of art, I mm-hmm. guess, in the name of, of turning some of the conventions on the ear, then the fifth wall is also maybe what the theater and the audience could do together mm-hmm. in the community. Yeah. Maybe. Yes, that's good. <laughs> Feel free to use that. That's if you good. Like. <laughs> um, and you're doing this with Billy Christopher. Billy he... Christopher. I'm the artistic director. Billy Christopher Maupin is the associate artistic director. We've been working together for the past year and a half on all all those other projects that we did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was what else? Patty issues, uh, race, breast and show, and Gideon's knot. What is Breast and Show and Gideon's Not? When were those? Were those before? Breast and Show was our first show, and that was in the um, spring of 2013. Uh, we did that at uh, Willow Lawn Theater. Mm-hmm. It was a musical about breast cancer. Huh. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was an original. We did the, only the second production in the country. It, it, who was the writer for local or no? Um, but the but the um, producer came to Richmond to see it and um, was very involved. And then we did Gideon's Knot, which was which we did in the summer mm-hmm. of 2013, and that's a two person play by Jonna Adams. Mm-hmm. And Jonna Adams will be in town next week to work with Sparks New Voices. Oh, cool! And she'll, that's a, is that a summer program? Is that yes, extension she'll be from the- she'll be the playwright in residence and help um, help. Um, Mentor the student playwrights, the high school students that have won the contest, and and so that's a that's a playwriting contest out of Spark, which is a uh, drama based kind of after is it after school and summer camp or is it just summer camp? It's it's um, they Spark takes submissions from high schools all over Virginia, mm-hmm. and they choose um, about eight playwrights to come and. Um, have a residency here. They stay in the VCU dorms and they work for a week on their play and work with professional directors, professional actors, and with this playwright in residence. And they work on the play for a week and then uh, rehearse it for a week. And then it's staged readings of the plays take place at the end of the internship, which is a two-week internship. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So what did, how did you get into doing theater like was that something that has been around for a long time like since like high school or earlier or did earlier you, yeah. <laughs> since i was little were you an actress yes. an actor actress yeah what mm-hmm. was the first play you did the first play i did was the Bunnyland brigade yeah in first grade <laughs> did you have a speaking part yes yeah i was a bunny and i tripped and broke my ankle and couldn't get my eggs distributed <laughs> so Jack Frost helped me decorate them and get them out to the kids. So there was a team of uh, Easter bunnies. Yes. more than one Easter bunny. The yes. Bunnyland Brigade. Yes. No one bunny couldn't get all of that done for the whole... No. Thing. No. So they're... behind the scenes, there's actually a brigade mm-hmm. of them. And you knew... I mean, how much of your career has been acting and, and how much of it has been more what you're doing now producing and direct and a lot of acting i went to um the neighborhood playhouse for acting in that's in new york city mm-hmm. sanford meisner's school um and then i acted in new york and acted in richmond when i first moved here i got to the point when i was with the firehouse that i was acting in all the shows and decided that i wanted to i didn't have time to really um, develop the theater as mm-hmm. it needed to be developed because I was always acting in all the plays and you can only I decided between that and between having kids that were teenagers and having a lot of activities that I didn't want to miss mm-hmm. I decided to focus on on um, progressively um, making the theater um, grow mm-hmm. and and that's what I did for several years um, and what was the last uh, play that you acted in Hmm. Um, I think it might have been Papers at the Firehouse. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what year that was. <laughs> <laughs> what was that about? It was about a, a teacher and um, a professor and a, and a teacher who um, had high ideals and really had a crush on this other professor who was 
not interested in her and a young student who was interested in the professor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of made me think of the paper chase for a minute there, but more of a romance yes. than that. Uh, unrequited love mm-hmm. type story. Yeah. So um, what is like, or you know, the... The directing of a theater, like all of the stuff that you were doing outside of acting at Firehouse, what did was there a format for that that you knew about, or did you kind of have to make it up as you went along? I um, I read a lot of books, studied a lot about theater management, and I um, uh, read American Theater Magazine. I um, I learned the grant the. Grant institutions developed relationships with them and with um, donors, um, mm-hmm. and got the budget increased and um, worked with uh, the best directors and actors to get the quality of the work top notch. Mm-hmm. So, so it was a, like you had a, a general idea of how it was done, but but made, made your own inquiry into how it could be done better. Yes, and at this. At that level of like, is this would be considered community theater? No, it, it prof- it's professional theater because mm-hmm. everybody was paid. Okay, and that's the difference between community and professional. Mm-hmm. So, uh, on a prof- like, and starting a professional theater like that, I mean, did you? It, was everything kind of done from scratch, or uh, were there like acting group uh, groups of actors that were already sort of working together and different? How did it come about? We started an acting class that Janet Wilson was teaching, and we um, decided we wanted to... We've been in the acting class for a while. We decided we wanted to perform some of the plays that we'd been working on, and we actually did a show in Carytown at a coffee shop of some mm. short plays. We did several several evenings of short plays, and then we did uh, decided we wanted our own theater, and there were... We had a meeting about this theater, and there were probably eight to ten people there, and we decided, what do we want this theater to be? And we wanted to focus on contemporary American theater. Mm -hmm. And there were five of us who wanted to do that. So there were five founders of this theater, and we knew the first thing we had to do was get a venue. Mm -hmm. And we found the firehouse. And how, what shape was that in when you? It was in it? great shape. It was the firemen were still there. Oh, really? They hadn't moved out yet. They were building the new place on Hermitage, so the firehouse was completely usable. And we did a fundraiser there immediately, and then moved in and did shows there. They were working bathrooms. There was heat. There was no air conditioning, but there was mm. <laughs> there. It was um, usable. So you just needed a stage, mm-hmm. I guess, and lighting and. Rigging mm-hmm. for lighting and Which sound. Which just kind of turned up from out of nowhere. We'd never oh, wow. purchased anything. We'd, I went to work one day and I, there, were, there was lighting equipment outside the front door. Somebody just dropped <laughs> Somebody it just off. donated yeah. it? Anonymously? Yeah. And what year was that that you started that? We started it in 93. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's around the time that I, I guess I first met you in, right. at Fox. With the soccer. When you were one of the moms there. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this when I came up there. I can't even remember if I actually coached Johnny or if he was just one of the kids that was out there on the field. But he, like he was on one of the other teams. I mean, I'm not, I just remember seeing his face. Yeah, I'm not sure. 
But I remember seeing you and, and your husband there quite mm-hmm. a bit. And all of you, you, you know, this was a very interesting... Um, I mean, I, I'd gone to Richmond Public Schools. I went to Bellevue. And all of the parents that got involved with school always had really interesting things going on outside of what was going on at school. And that was very much the case with the people that I remember being around Fox. Right. And uh, and I remember being surprised. Well, not surprised, but, but like, aha, when I saw your picture associated with the firehouse theater later on fox was a very artsy community Mm -hmm. and it's and and it had that atmosphere ron herman the principal supported that and thought the arts were very important so he was a real uh, proponent of the arts Mm -hmm. he didn't want to ever have a dress code because he felt like the way children dress is their expression of themselves and that's great and um the parents were people like you know John Bryan, and mm-hmm. he was the head of Culture Works. His kids went there, and his yeah. wife's an artist. And Paul De Pasquale. Paul, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of artists and interesting people. Just really interesting people. Which has always been, I, well, at least as long as I can remember, which is since the seventies, that the folks, that a lot of the folks that are still living in the city, that uh, a certain class, economic class or whatever, tend to be the more iconoclastic and creative types that find it interesting to live in the romantic old neighborhoods of, you know, Churchill and the fan. Yeah, I think we're more open to, well, let's see what happens with the schools and not not go, (laughs) oh, gee, my child's too, I have to move because the city schools are no good. Instead, we've just said, well, let's try it. Let's mm-hmm. see what, and it worked. It worked Did, just and fine. Both of your children were from public three. school? Three. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yes, all the way. What are their names? John, Trevor, and Susanna. Is Susanna the youngest? She's yeah. the youngest. Okay. Mm-hmm. And all three of them went from kindergarten to, did they go to high school in that? Yes. Wow, which high mm-hmm. school? Maggie Walker. Oh, is the governor's? The governor's school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I made it as far as... Uh, um, the end of middle school, but I was not able to get into the governor's school or something like that. I was headed for Armstrong, and that wasn't going to be a good experience no, for me. So I understand that. I ended up at Marymount, which was, for a private school, pretty um, liberal and very... And considering it was a Catholic, you know, run by nuns, there was a very um, liberal overall kind of free um, atmosphere there, sort of an independent kind of... Um, study sort of situation and really good arts program there like really good art where teachers. is that it doesn't exist anymore oh that's too bad <laughs> it was on Cary street road just before right right past windsor farms like one of the first mm-hmm. turns you could go on that isn't wouldn't bring you into windsor farms and it had been an all-girls school until like 1977 mm-hmm. i went there in 84 and there were only like 10 guys out of 200 and some students wow. in the school. <laughs> Which, you know, one of the interesting things about going to Richmond Public Schools for me is that, you know, I, although I was socialized and raised in uh, in Churchill, I still was, my parents were of a different background than most of the people in the neighborhood. And that, um, you know, my dad was from Northern Virginia and my mom grew up in Windsor Farms. She was not like real urban. You know, mm-hmm. my dad grew up really kind of almost rural, like pretty much rural. So... You know, I was exposed to, you know, very, like, with the background of what, you know, they were teaching me at home, but I was being socialized in an urban environment, and, you know, that was very much a um, a present thing in the schools, 
you know, just sort of what is what's going on urban, you know, in an urban environment. And then to go to Marymount and really be the minority of amongst women and learn so much about the culture of women in their sort of natural habitat. Because they didn't really pay attention to the boys that went to Marymount. They didn't? No. So there wasn't the, we're going to put on a different face because there are cute boys around. We didn't count. So, you know, we got to see a whole different side of teenage girls, you know, when they're not sort of putting on that Mm -hmm. face for the, the jock you know, mm-hmm. that they're interested in or whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, I have been inhaling paint fumes, so I think it's going to be difficult for me to train of thought. Um, so the, of the original, you said there were five people that started the Firehouse Theater together. How many of them were still involved when you left? Um, none of them. Harry had been on the board, but he wasn't on the board anymore. Mm-hmm. Anna Seneschal Johnson has started Cadence Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, Janet Wilson is teaching in, she's a college professor in Indiana, Mm -hmm. and Bill Gordon moved to Northern Virginia. He's still active in theater. But all of them were on the emeritus board list, all stayed involved and Mm -hmm. all stayed interested. Mm -hmm. Um, But they all. Occasionally reviewed stuff or creative um, stuff? Just casually, Mm -hmm. casual conversations. What do you think of this? What do you think? So we stayed close, and they all resigned once I left. And where did the rest of the people come from that became the board over the years after that? And did they continue to be the same amount of people, like roughly? I mean, when you started off with five people. Well, we and- had a meeting at the um, at a gallery, and we presented our vision of a theater, and we just invited people who might perhaps be interested in being on the board. So right away, we had a board. Um, the P. Um, most of the people that attended signed up for the board. And that was how many people, roughly? One, two, three. Probably about eight or nine people. And they... Um, and this is in addition to the founding mm-hmm, actors. Mm-hmm. And, and what role did they play early on? Well, Jen Robertson had her all... Um, our meet, the meetings at her house and fed us. <laughs> she had dinner for us every meeting once a month. Um, Patricia Cornwall was on the board, though she did not attend meetings. She said, I'll be on the board if I can send my assistant. And she paid for she's our. She's a writer? She, yes, she's mm-hmm. a, a novelist. And she paid for our initial insurance because we couldn't do a show at the firehouse without liability insurance. Mm-hmm. So she paid for that. And the rest of the board fund, did fundraising and developed bylaws, uh, applied for 501c3, um, all the, they did all of it. All the technical mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And at that point, did they, did they have a lot of say in what was going on creatively, or was that sort of left to the... No, they didn't, they didn't get involved in the, in the programming at all. They, uh, the board never did. And how many, so did, did there continue throughout the time that you were involved and it continued to be roughly the same amount of people outside of creative? Uh, uh, yes, it cha- the, they changed from time to time, but I would say we, any time we had 12 to 15 board members. It's really kind of interesting to me. I mean, I'm going to cut the crap and like, I mean, I, I know sort of more ancillarily, you know, I remember seeing in style that you were no longer involved with it at one point, And that wasn't, that was not cool the way that that no. had gone down. No. And 
I'm aware of other instances of something like a founding person who started something in the city ends up getting ousted from the thing that they started that they like really fought for to make happen was like their vision. And one of those things is like WRIR, Chris Maxwell, the guy, I mean, it was nothing. I mean, he was the one going around like, you know, working to make that happen forever for like, you know, years before it ever came to be. And I've never got, I haven't gotten the story of how he gets ousted from his baby, but then there's, you know, Lisa Toronto and tricycle gardens, Mm -hmm. same sort of thing happened to her. And it just basically seems like a very bizarre thing to happen like you know even under any circumstances that you know that someone would start something like that and be a part of it for so long and uh uh, people come in with power that 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 want power Mm -hmm. and they don't want the founding person there because they want to make it their own Mm -hmm. the firehouse was um ripe for a takeover because we owned the building. We owned um, all our lighting equipment, all our sound equipment. We'd just done a $150,000 renovation. We had zero debt. We're one of the only theaters in town with no debt. And that has, we had three quarters of a million dollars of assets and no debt. So who wouldn't want to take over that and just make it? Three quarters of a million dollars, like liquid assets or no. uh, property? No, and- property. Mm-hmm. Like the building, for one thing, and building mm-hmm. the equipment, the seating, the yeah. And so it was, it was ripe for a takeover because it's already ready to go. It's a, a beautiful like foundation. All the all the heavy lifting has been done. Mm-hmm. All of the stuff, you know. Right. So somebody can just coast in and 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 put their ego on it and put their vision on it and and just say, hey, this is a real nice place you've set up. I think I'll take it. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. And it's and it isn't. Do you think it is dollar signs a big part of that, or do you think it's more just, the, um, you know, having influence and and attention and power related hubris, hubris. wanting to have ego and hubris. That hubris is a good word to use, since my first exposure to that word was in connection to like the tragic Greek tragedies. Yeah, Oedipus had hubris and. Um, I think Electra and many other tra- uh, tragic heroes have hubris. They overweening pride, blindness to what's right in front of them, and they think that they're infallible. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Um, I mean, for something like that to stay afloat in uh, a town that is not as supportive of its arts as it could be, you know, it is fairly supportive of its arts, but it's not like we have Broadway here, and there's. There's sort of a, I mean, you know, your name was actually initially suggested to me by Eliza Skinner after she listened to my, um, me talk to Chris Hulbert, who was talking about, you know, we have a mural project and there are all of these local artists, but what, you know, the first mural project was 100% out of town talent, Mm -hmm. you know, so the, the most of the people that have money in this town, would you agree, tend to want to go with the safe bet, the people that are already pretty well known and pretty well established the theater programs that are or arts artists that are or whatever and it's kind of hard to get local things to get up to the level that they're being patronized the way that something you know with more uh buzz around it i would say that's fair um yeah so it's harder to get 
it, it was hard. Was it initially hard to get this whole thing going? Like, I mean, did you, you have mean the firehouse? Yeah, and have the interest in it, and have and we had um, Francis Lewis was interested from the beginning because at that time there wasn't any cutting edge theater. There was the theater was pretty um, bland in mm-hmm. Richmond, so we were doing forward-thinking theater, theater that had more adult themes. Mm-hmm. And she came right away to to attend and gave us some initial seed money. So when you have forward-looking people like Frances, who was never afraid to to grasp onto something new, then, mm-hmm. you, then you do all right. And, um, so the, the, more of the resistance... More of the the situation that you started this theater in wasn't so much that people weren't interested in um, local stuff. It was that they were just really conservative. Was what that most of the art, uh, most of the theater. But and- we found our we we found our audience. We mm-hmm. we um we certainly had plenty of subscribers and supporters, and um, there was a need for it in mm-hmm. Richmond. And theater of Virginia had. At this point, was that was that still? Yeah, no, it still existed it still when you started. Existed, yeah, but they were not doing any um, any controversial programming. They were trying to to um, program to their audience rather mm-hmm. than program to their times. Mm-hmm. The old the old school season ticket holders. And they didn't want to offend anybody. Is that what happened? I mean, because I did see. I guess the one play I went to there was when they were starting to kind of push the envelope a little bit in like the late 90s and they did Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with a all African American cast which is still I guess not that it's not <laughs> <laughs> still the same play. Yeah, it's yeah. still the same play. Um I they were they were hurting and they lost their space and then they were supposed to go downtown and that didn't None of their none of their audience wanted to go downtown, mm. so they had a fit. So they lost support there. So I don't really know. They just totally don't exist anymore. No, they do not exist. And nobody from that is doing anything. So, do you? I mean, do you think that you know what what you've left behind with uh, Firehouse and the people that are running it now are are maintaining the the spirit of what was being done with it to begin with, or is it? No, they don't have the integrity and they, um, the, the people that are running it, um, theater is supposed to be, um, something that uplifts the human condition, something that opens our eyes and something that, um, is honest and something that is true and the way they've acted, it's the antithesis to what theater should be. So not only it, 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 it's the behind the scenes, you know, to use a, a metaphor that is related to theater, the behind the scenes behavior can't help but undermine anything that they would be trying to put out there as a part of the community and their role as in, in their part of the fifth wall, you know, of what, what role theater plays in the community if there's a lot of sketchy stuff going on or a lot of things being done for the wrong reasons no matter what the then it's not theater yeah of course uh, it's not theater what is theater to you besides what you just said what is it i think besides the obvious besides the plays besides the um 
stories that we want to tell besides the um, besides the um, mind expanding concepts that we want to share and have talked about. I think theater needs to be a higher level of integrity all around in the way we treat each other, in the way we treat the people we work with, in the way we respect the people we work with, Mm -hmm. and, um, and the way we're open. And with people we work with, we don't gossip, talk about people behind their back. We confront problems rather than, than slide, mm-hmm. slide through them. We, we try to solve them and confront them and ha- make a better world. Mm-hmm. Are you f- from Richmond or Virginia originally? No. Where are you from originally? I was born in Brooklyn. Uh, then I moved to Pennsylvania when I was eight. Then I went to college in Ohio. Um, I lived in L.A. for a while, <laughs> but then I then I settled back in New York for. I lived there ten years before I moved to Richmond. And when, how old were you when you moved to Richmond? I was um, thirty-two. And at that, when you came here, were you see this? What you're, what you were just talking about and describing, like how what you know how, what theater should not be and what people should not be is is very much like what the old school Richmond like um the old money and the upper crust culture of Richmond has always there's a you're very Richmond if joke that it's easier for you to commit adultery than to say it in the presence of a woman or say it in the presence <laughs> of a woman so there's this keeping up appearances thing mm-hmm. and this maintenance of some kind of a paradigm and you know whatever's happening behind closed doors whatever's happening in your house is uh, one thing, um, but with the face that you're putting out there in society, which I think is the old school kind of English court society that initially influenced uh, Virginia or Richmond, you know, because that was like Queen Elizabeth's court, you know, uh, the lords and ladies who sort of um, paid homage to her were the ones that got the original land over here. So it was sort of a, you know, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's you know, like mm-hmm. Cavalier. You know, that's like the um, Chevalier of the French court. You know, they're the they're the landed gentry that were you know, they sort of make what the court is. You know, mm-hmm. they're the ones that sort of back and the they queen were and, better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we look at the things that are priorities in this town. It's always been the kind of stuff that goes on in court, which is socializing. Uh, you know, this kind of. Um, you know, political and romantic and um, and recreational, everything has got this, you know, kind of this this manner, you know, this code of manners around it. You know, there's a pantomime, an act. I mean, it is sort of a, a show. It's a play in and of itself. How do you, you know, everything's got subtext to it. You know, you don't come right out and court somebody. You write a poem and you pass it to so-and-so or you get, and they get them to read it and they know it's from you, but everything's indirect and... And mm-hmm. there's there's all of these sort of layers of intrigue going on. And, you know, these are the people. It's that kind of court life. It wasn't just in England. You know, it was going on in France and Spain. But it's that kind of court life that influenced the, you know, once the heavy lifting had been done here and the land had been cleared and people started setting things up, the people that really came over and, and became the the uh, old money, the landed, landed aristocracy of Virginia were those people. And they... <laughs> oh, so that explains a lot. I I had a real hard time adjusting to Virginia after living in New York. You know, New Yorkers tell it like it is. Mm-hmm. 
And um, in fact, my husband came here to work in sales and had all the Southern customers. And one customer called him that tell it like it is Yankee. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, a confrontation of any kind, um, being assertive. I mean, those kinds of things are considered rude. mm -hmm. You know, there's this um, and. And and this so trying to keep this appearance up and not messing with anybody else's illusion that they're trying to create is a, is a code of honor or a code of ethics around here, and so I think that that creates a situation of denial, you know, that a lot of people are living in denial of the reality of being a human, you know, mm-hmm. of like the things that everybody goes through, you know, the the stuff that's you know difficulties in families, you know, not getting along, whatever. Nobody wants to say that in polite company, you know, and it, not comfortable with being confronted with reality like that. Just want to kind of keep it all on a pleasant and nice mm-hmm. level. And, you know, you as a, having been a, first of all, from a, a culture that, that was already understood that you have to, you know, you have to just be upfront, be real with people. And people actually, I've lived in New York, I recognize you get along a lot better when, you know, when everybody's being, right. you know, not just like asserting yourself, like getting your way, but, but saying what you think mm-hmm. and then, you know, where you stand, everybody knows where they stand. That's right. And you can actually trust people, you know, I mean, um, but that's not the way here. And so, and, and also, so, you know, that from living like that, and you also know the value of that from theater that. Like confronting what you're, I mean, a lot of times that projection of looking at something outside of yourself, looking at, a, you know, a drama um, or a comedy or whatever that, of people acting out something can give you insight into something that's totally subjective. But you have to be interested in right. that. Right. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And I think that's, that is a thing that, that the, the people, the majority of the people who have been in Richmond a long time that have the money to support anything that uh, of a certain level and to keep it going have been come from that culture of not wanting to confront these things, you know, not wanting to look at the stuff. And you and I both recognize that it's valuable to do mm-hmm. so. You know, I, I like being called out on things. You know, I like to put even my awkwardness out in front of everybody else because I think it's instructional it is. to other people. You know, I mean, doing this podcast is, I mean, that's why I don't protect myself from looking stupid on it or being awkward because I want people to see that nobody very seldom do people you know create things out of the blue that are perfect Mm -hmm. you know it takes a lot of um, there's a lot of iterations to get it there and I'm Mm -hmm. as interested in the iterations as I am the finished product that's true Um, and um, I know one of our biggest donors and one of the biggest philanthropists in Richmond is a tell-it-like-it-is guy, mm-hmm. even though he's from Richmond, Mr. Bill Singleton. And he's a dream. I love working with him because he'll say, no, I don't want to give that, or that's too much, or mm-hmm. that, or, well, let me see what I could, you know, he'll tell you exactly what he thinks about your project, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I love. And then, and he's just the most generous, kind-hearted man, but a lot of Richmonders are afraid of him. Mm-hmm. It is, it, it, it takes some getting used to, you know, and I mean, I certainly didn't come out of the womb like that. And that isn't how I was socialized coming up. But I really came to appreciate it in New York and more and more. Mm-hmm. The more that people are honest, the more people realize other people realize that you're not we're not that different from each other. 
you know, this, these illusions that we put out there or that are put out there for us of perfection and success and all of that kind of stuff. Hardly anybody lives up to that. Right. You know, so everybody is privately measuring themselves against that and finding themselves and judging wanting. themselves and then being paranoid and then not mm-hmm. wanting to admit their foibles. Mm-hmm. So we, we put this stuff out there and a safe way to put it out there is in form of theater. Mm-hmm. which is why it exists, I think, in the first place, would you say? I mean, the Greeks and Romans, would you would they be sort of credited with inventing the form? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they used it, well, they used it to tell the stories of what the gods would want you to be doing or how mm-hmm. you should be behaving, mm-hmm. right? Right. So there's a way to reinforce the moral code and the spiritual code? I guess so, yeah. And um, now we have a much broader moral and spiritual code, so it makes it even more interesting. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think the interesting thing about challenging theater is that we we and and challenging art of any kind and 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 having direct conversations is we realize how much dogma is disconnected from spirituality. Mm-hmm. You know that although we have this, we have a broader idea of what is allowed in people's preferences of behavior and sexuality and um, what marriages are going to look like and um, how they might talk or how they might dress or whatever. The core human values aren't any broader, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, what seems to me, I mean, the things that, that define the experience of life can be broken down into some very set sort of reactions to life and we've built a lot of stories up around them you know but in a lot of ways you need to strip away these assumptions and the and the dogmatic aspects of um the assumptions like that you know we're reinfor- we're reinforcing an image of ourselves we're buying into that image of ourselves and we're missing out on the point of of a morality play of a of a spiritual story which is to get you to connect to other people Mm-hmm. You know, am I making any sense? Yeah, I'm wondering. Yeah, far afield it's that, here. the connection. Mm-hmm. That when you see a play, you can connect to something that you hadn't thought you could connect to. That mm-hmm. you you can understand something um, in a new way. And you are that, being confronted by it because those are actual those. There's there's only that imaginary wall between you and those people doing that, and it's a very intense, immediate thing. You're you're somewhat involved. You know, you're, you're a fly. right there. Yeah, with the, with you're the a fly on the wall, but you're not too, because the people doing it are aware mm-hmm. that you're there. You know, and even though they're pretending not to be, they know that you're there. You they know? can feel it. They mm-hmm. feel you. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and that's not that you know, and that is initially the thing that is difficult for me to get. I'm I'm a big like TV and movie watcher but to sit in live theater and to know that people that people know that i'm there and i'm watching them and i'm i feel like i'm expected to respond to what they're doing a certain way yeah initially i feel that way but then i get caught in i get you know drawn into the uh the illusion interesting because there's so many people that just do not go to theater and they never they never even think of it and i don't know why that is. I'd like to hear more. Well, I from think people. it's. 
I mean, it's probably got something to do with that. If I could speak for one type of person that's uncomfortable with it, but when I, I mean, when I get over it, it doesn't bother me. But my initial feeling is, I'm going to be. There are going to be people there trying to do something that may or may not work, and I am afraid of if they fail that their humiliation or disgrace is like going to be witnessed. You know, oh. I mean, I feel be- you know I would be embarrassed for them. You know, that's the negative of it, I guess. And um, also there's this sort of like sense that even though you're volunteering to go there and you're paying to go there and everything that um, I can't really explain where I don't know where this comes from. But, you know, the idea the audacity, um, unless it's like up on a huge stage, you know, Mm -hmm. someplace like, you know, like a Broadway stage or the mosque or something like that. These people, who do they think they are? standing up there trying to be actors you know like who do they think you know who gave them the authority you know what these are people i see every day you know in richmond you know they're they're, people that you know right people from my community and then there's this audacity that they're going to get up there and put on a show for me and also how am i supposed to buy them as As another character when you know them yeah so you find it easier to see you would find it easier to see strangers on the stage than to see your friends or, mm-hmm. or colleagues. Well, that would be the you initial, know. you know, yeah, I would initially think that. That's, I'm not limited by that. And I've, you know, because of Morgan, I've, I've had the opportunity to see way more theater than it would have mm-hmm. occurred to me and go to um, Coalition Theater and see them do Im- improv, mm-hmm. which is a whole other level of hard to take, like if they fail at it. Mm-hmm. kind of thing because it seems even more embarrassing to be up there trying to Im- improvise um something with no script mm-hmm. whatever and to be earnestly up there yeah that's really my problem with it is that if people are in front of me um trying to do something like that i used to just be really kind of afraid for them and kind of embarrassed for and them it and it makes it stressful yeah Mm-hmm. I mean, the first plays I went to when I was working at Theater of Virginia and I went to see Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and something else. I was actually working at the museum, but whatever. The lights go down and people come out there on the stage. I felt really uncomfortable. Oh. You know? I don't know if it's like that for other people, but, you know, it is a different kind of thing. It is more intimate, you know. Definitely. And we're not we're not comfortable with intimacy in general, I think, and vulnerability in in this the, the whatever is the residue of the culture in this town, and I think that's also having to live in this um, knowing how this town was founded and on what under what circumstances it was founded, but not really wanting to have to confront that, you know, and oh. and living all the time with the people who were the victims of that, and them not wanting to confront it, and and you not wanting to have to confront it, you just don't want to have to deal with it, don't know where it's going to go, so it just stays all bottled up. You know, and that's I think it's a very uh, there's a yeah, a level of denial. Well, I've said denial already, but that's I think that's what characterizes it. Is this <laughs> is this ringing true to you? In your- I don't know. That's what mm-hmm. I'm asking, mm-hmm. because um, I always wonder since I've always gone to theater my whole life and it was there's so many people here that. Um, I'll talk to them, and they don't even know what Virginia Rep is. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest theater in town, and they don't. And yet they'll go to the mosque and see Broadway Under the Stars. Right, they go see Jersey Boys. Mm-hmm. Something but like they that. won't go to their own local theaters. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's it is partly 
that um, that thing that I'm describing, maybe that they're not comfortable with theater. But I think it's even more this like um, there are a lot of people in this town that the idea of originality, the idea of just doing your own thing and and going to explore something on your own, like uh, reading the paper and saying, "Hey, maybe I'll go check that play out or go check that band out." Um, that does not occur to a lot of people. And it's people like, won't go alone to things in right. this town. I noticed mm-hmm. that, that, like in New York, you can go alone to anything and mm-hmm. nobody will bat an eyelash. Mm-hmm. That I don't even, I won't, you know, I don't go to dinner by myself like I would, in, like I do in New York. Mm-hmm. And it's just, Richmond is a, I, you, I go to the movies by myself and I'll go to plays by myself, but I imagine a lot of people wouldn't. Well, I, I actually think, remember like one of the moms, and I don't remember who she was, but I think she was English that was at Fox, was sitting on a lawn chair in the soccer field back there talking to one of the other moms. Catherine Dahl. Was it Catherine Dahl? Probably. And she was talking about how great Westwood Racquet Club was, but like people didn't really know it. They had all these assumptions about it, and they stuck with the country club because of the types of people they thought were at. Westwood mm-hmm. Racquet Club. And that popped into my head because I think that sort of says it all, is that at, until the the trail is blazed, it's just like, you know, until all of the heavy lifting is done, a lot of people aren't going there. They're like, I want, and they don't want to be the ones thought of as stepping out of line, you know, and doing that thing that everybody else is doing. And it's, it's I don't know why this pressure still exists in this day and age, but I can tell that it still does. That it's like we just don't do that. That's that's where you go to school, or that's where you live. Oh, you know. I mean, I I left. I grew up in public schools. Nobody ever said that kind of stuff. You know, nobody asked. You, nobody said anything about your clothes or whatever. And then I went to Marymount, and the people I encountered out there asked me why I was parting my hair. The way I was, why I was, why was my collar turned down, not up? Why didn't I, you know, where were the, the shoes, you know? And there was this real pressure to fit into that, you know? And I think that, that this, this is the same pressure that is on like where you live and what art you attend and what music you listen to and all of that. Like you don't even go, I mean, this is, goes back to the, the courtly thing. You don't go to see the band. You go to see the other people that went to see the band. <laughs> right. You know, you go to make the scene, you know, mm-hmm. to see and be seen. And that drives so much more of what goes on in this town, you know, yes. You're than just right. being entertained. You know? You're right. It has to be the place to be. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you're one of those, the people that is creating a place to be that is for the inquisitive. Hopefully, and, it'll be. A- the place to be seen. Yeah. And <laughs> well, if I have anything to do with it, we'll, we'll help to prom- promote that idea. I mean, I think that there is so much to be enjoyed about this city and so much to be enjoyed about the surrounding areas when you get out from under that pressure to be where everybody else is. There's a whole lot going on. And I loved sitting in Patty Issues, you know, and that's one guy up there. That was amazing. He was really that good. That was amazing, yeah. He did that night after night. Mm-hmm. He's a really talented guy. I mean, the first time I saw Billy Christopher was at uh, in race, right? And then he's a total different person, and yeah, and he can sing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I really like bought him as that lawyer in race, and then 
to go i dropped into the, one of the restaurant where he was working oh and right i didn't even know he worked there or anything it was just a random thing i just saw him there and completely different mm-hmm. and i guess a good, that's a good actor that's a good actor yeah well who who are some of the other your other favorites uh actor actors wise? yeah in richmond Oh, Lane Satterfield, Katrina Lewis, Desiree Roots. And Katrina was in Race. Mm-hmm. True, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lauren Lean House Cook. Uh, gosh, there's so we, we've got a lot of talent, mm-hmm. a, a lot of talent here. Uh, a lot of younger people coming up, too. Um, Joe Insko, of course. Um, Bill Patton. Uh, um, there's so many. <laughs> so many. And, uh, Morgan was telling me that you're doing, uh, a, you're going to be teaching yes, acting I'm classes. Yes, I'm teaching acting classes in September, we start. And mm-hmm. it's based on? Meisner Method of Acting. And you were a student of Meisner's, yes. right? Tell me a little bit about Meisner. Meisner is, um, uh, his method is about the reality of doing, so that you're actually you have actions in each scene and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and we don't worry about emotion because if you do the things that the character's doing the emotion will come so we don't try to get emotional we mm-hmm. try to do what what you're doing like if you're really trying to convince your husband not to leave you and you're really doing that mm-hmm. something something's going to happen mm-hmm. to you. Something authentic is going yes, to occur. Yes, and mm-hmm. it'll be much more interesting than you getting ready and starting to cry. And, and sometimes trying not to cry is a lot more um, a, a lot more moving than somebody bursting into tears. Yeah, and, and so, some of that, like going to that place wherever you have to go to make yourself cry to be what you think you should be emotionally is actually detaching from the from drama this, that's going from on. From the scene of the play, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's to be really there. So he, so it's it's basically actions and reality of doing. And and it, so you learned to act that way? Um, when I, yes. And is, have you always, all the acting you did after that, that's how you went about playing mm-hmm. roles? Yes. Has that inspired how you do other things besides acting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great way to, um, when you're meeting people, to, oh, the, the first exercise is listening. Mm-hmm. Listening, not trying to, you listen and you respond to what you hear rather than thinking of what you're going to say. So it's, so it's good when you meet people, instead of trying to think of what you want to say, you listen to them mm-hmm. and keep your mind blank about what you're going to say and then something will come up. It's hard to do. It is hard. It takes to do. a lot of practice, and that's what Meisner also believed in practicing these exercises. He believed the actor was like um, an in, your body and your listening and your senses are an instrument. So you need to practice just as much as a piano player needs to practice their scales. Mm-hmm. You need to practice listening mm-hmm. and responding and doing. If you're going to write a letter in a play, write the letter. How many times you see people? Mm-hmm. just scrawling and you know they're not really writing anything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they just can't deal with writing something and remembering their lines but if you really do it something will happen to mm-hmm. you yeah you know i i call that um and i think that's that's what it takes to have real education and real change 
of mind or, you know, to have sort of uh, to evolve into, you know, if you want to really intentionally change something, you can't be educated, artic- you know, articulated into it. You can't be told into it. It can't just be the words. It has to be matched with some action to change mm-hmm. that. You mm-hmm. know, if you, it, everything, it, it's practice. There's practice like, you know, um, I'm going to keep doing this thing, like play the piano, like you mentioned, or whatever, until I get good at it. Um, and then there's spiritual practice, which aren't usually considered to be the same things, you know, but they are. It's it's a way of, it's a ritual. It's a, it's a, it's a thing you can do that brings about a Gnostic change in your understanding of mm-hmm. something. You know, you can intellectually understand things, but it doesn't produce much mm-hmm. until you, you know, kind of totally synthesize the whole thing by getting into it. You know? Right, like when you're doing the exercises or the piano scales or the listening response, when you get on to into the play or into your into your performance, you drop it all. Mm-hmm. You can't be thinking of an exercise. You can't worry about that. In fact, I even knew some pianists who took Meisner method of acting, so that when once they they could they could gear into the the music and the audi- feel the audience and and work off the audience and work off the sounds they were hearing and and rather than worrying about whether they play the right notes. Yeah, it's I mean it's a really incredible discipline because you know really what you want to, where the space that you need to get to to really express yourself whether you're playing music or um acting or um painting or whatever is to get out of the way, you know. And and a lot of what's in the way is all of this thinking judgment. and all of this. Yeah, your you're own judging. judgment. Well, how am I doing? Mm-hmm. He called it taking your temperature. You're mm-hmm. always, you're in the middle of the scene going, how's this scene going? You have to train yourself to, then when that starts happening, you focus on the other person mm-hmm. and just look at the other person, then that goes away. You don't think of yourself. You think of the other person. Mm-hmm. You think of the room you're in and you notice that red blanket there and you notice that, Everything, everything that you notice, what sounds, you notice the birds singing, you notice what smells, and you mm-hmm. stop worrying about yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is the, this is the problem in general with people connecting and people relating and people behaving themselves, is they're out Always for thinking about, about self. themselves. Right. <laughs> and what's going to happen? And what am I, I'm afraid of losing or afraid of not getting? You know, and so I am not engaged with this other person. I'm engaged in what I need to protect or what I need to acquire. Or and what I need to get, tell them before mm-hmm. even knowing what they need to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And being right. Being right. <laughs> and not looking foolish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. I mean, like, it's you're sitting here telling me this, and I'm thinking about how I sat down to do this podcast, and I was having, and I was nervous, you know, and like, I need to be listening, and that's a real reason I'm doing this. But when I'm nervous, I start talking more, you know, and I start like trying to create the thing that I'm comfortable in, you know, and then I'm thinking about expectations and all of that, you know, what is, does this sound good? Is this going to be an interesting interview? You know, or a conversation. So you know. it takes you out of it mm-hmm. instead of keep you in it. Yeah, and and I sometimes we talk for a long time until that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and but it's such an important thing to relating to other people that you know, and it's not my first instinct. You know, I mean, what you're saying about playing a role in a play is so much like you're playing a role in a relationship 
or a family, mm-hmm. you know, it, when somebody starts like talking to me that is someone I care about and they're in pain or whatever, I just want to fix it, mm-hmm. you know, and, <laughs> and really the best thing to do, I've heard this a million times is just to listen, right. you know, just let them talk, let them figure it out. Sometimes they'll hear it just from talking, mm-hmm. but the selfishness involved there is like, I don't want that pain that's over there to spill into here. You want, instead of to fix it, you want to stop it. Yeah, that's true. I don't, right. I just want it to go away, mm-hmm. you know, trying to, that's like another level of denial, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, I mean, this, we're circling around all of this. This is a thing that, you know, I mean, it's, it, it really is a spiritual thing that you're providing to um, the community. You know, it, that that theater is it always has had that at its core whether it was what we consider to be a strange form of spirituality the idea of multiple gods and and that you know the romans honestly believe that if there are plagues and there are disease and all of that it's because someone is in the king is misbehaving mm-hmm. you know and and we don't necessarily buy into that but this sort of metaphorical idea that if, you know, like Oedipus Rex, for instance, it's fate, you know, and that you can take power in your own hands and you can control all the facets and you can fix it and you can get it right and you can succeed. And, and you actually, he goes about creating his own downfall that way, believing that, you Mm -hmm. know, and not being able to be, um, to listen, you know, not able (laughs) to, and that's hubris that you brought up to Mm -hmm. begin with is that's, that's where that comes from. It's overweening pride. You're so sure, you're so stuck on what you want and what yourself, what your needs are and what your, the things that you're trying to keep at bay that you can't really engage in the thing that really will help you, which is the other people, mm-hmm. you know, the listening, you know, everyone has something to teach mm-hmm. you if you can just, that's really know. true. Yeah. Um, and Meisner used to say on, on, on that line that, an actor would say, well, what if I'm not getting anything from my partner? And he said, there's always something. You're always getting something. Is that a scary place when you first start doing it? I mean, imagine you're comfortable with it now. I thought it was freeing because for the first time, I don't have to worry about um, about not knowing my lines because if I'm there with them, then I can just say, you're nodding your head. Mm-hmm. That's you know if you if you go up on your lines you just stay in the moment and it'll come back to what mm-hmm. you're doing and you just observe the other person and you focus right on the other person and it's just it it's, helps you not to panic over the fact that you might be forgetting your lines yeah. or whatever or that you, you or that you're not emotionally connected tonight so you just it takes all the war it takes all your focus off yourself and that's very it was always very freeing to me Hmm. Would you consider, I, it's Meisner, or, mm-hmm. would you consider him sort of a um, a guru of yours? A, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. And you're ready to start passing on? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And do you, do, you, do you go into it like mindful of its implications outside of uh, acting? I've had people take the class for just to be more comfortable um, speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking for work, people that wanted it for work, for sales, um, for different reasons that didn't even want to act. And so, yeah, I think it's a great skill. It's very interesting. Like, this is like, and many of the method, I don't know a whole lot about 
method acting. I know of it as being re- referred to of like really immersing yourself in a role, for instance. What is that f- form like? You know, the people that like, like say a Daniel Day Lewis who's going to live in the house and you know with no electricity and all of that. Does that, does that have a specific name like that particular kind of method or? Um, Isn't there another more? Uh, might be more. St- Stanislaw, uh, more um, Lee Strasberg. Yeah, that's what that's a name I've heard. Lee Strasberg, but, but, but the idea that what most people think of when they think of acting is that you're trying to pull something over on me. That you're, you know, <laughs> that you're you're pretending, right? Mm. You're you're lying, right? And these these methods are really at getting at I truth. I wouldn't call it know? lying. How is it lying? Well, you're you're truthful in that moment. You're truthfully portraying. And it comes from you. Every part comes from you. Whether you're going to do the part differently than than um, Daniel Day Lewis, because mm-hmm. it's going to be the truth of how you would react in these imaginary circumstances. I would say that that is definitely true of a person who really has made this their art and their craft, and has has followed teachings like the ones that you're teaching. But for the for a layman who thinks about an actor, it's somebody pretending to be somebody that they're not, you know, and they're saying made up stuff that doesn't, they, you know, on, on the surface, if they're not, co- not connected to the fact that the truth of this is what resonates, you know, and from the human condition, it's um, not important that this isn't something that actually happened or is happening because it is something that's happened over and over again. It's, it's a mythology kind of a thing. Um. But if people aren't connected to that, they just are like, it's, you're getting really like their assumption is you're getting really good at pretending to be somebody other than you are, but tr- but the truth is is that people who are really dedicated to it like you are you're really learning to be the most authentically human you can be, and you're not getting hung up on this particular image of being a human. You're getting hung. You're trying to get at the universal humanity, right. the thing that we all have in common. Right. And uh, and when you're on stage connecting when you're listening to somebody else and you're really paying attention to them and who they are in that role, um, you're getting at that. And that's actually the realest thing that you could be doing to practice that. That's the truest mm-hmm. thing you could be doing is connecting to somebody else and getting out of the who you think you are and what you think this is about. And <laughs> It's tricky. It's tricky because also... Um, the theater is is not a film so you do have to project you have to use your instrument you have to so you can't just act like you would in a film just Mm -hmm. casually it's i always call it a contact sport you have to get up for it you have to be ready and you Mm -hmm. have to attack Mm -hmm. even if it's something where you're down it still takes that energy to be on stage Mm -hmm. and that's a commitment and it's a lot of energy to put out there Mm -hmm. and focus so this is a, the method uh, that you learned is set the stage for you the idea of giving, you know, being um, giving to the role and giving to the other actor and giving to the play, not taking, you know, this is not about me, you know, when you're up there, it's about the play, it's about the story. It's about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's about what you're doing. And actions being louder than words too well even when even your words what are you doing with those words what do you want Mm -hmm. what do you want when you're saying those words which can be different from what the words actually mean 
And so this this loops around to in starting in, in embarking again on your own having your own th- company mm-hmm. again. And you've been it's not you didn't just get your own company again. You just this is just a new name that you've rolled out because you've been you've done four productions under this. Right. But you were mindful of the role of not just um, when you're teaching other actors, when you're directing other actors, but maybe that is what maybe the, some of what the fifth wall is, is that that the theater and this play and this truth and all of this um, can be leading people into listening, into paying attention. And, and some of that teaching could be spilling mm-hmm. out. And you don't mm-hmm. have any preconceived... When I um, act, when I direct... I don't have any plan for how I'm going to say a line. I mm-hmm. just learn the lines with no meaning and then see what happens. And when I direct, I don't block it at first. I, I just have the actors learn the lines, and I don't have a preconceived idea about how they should say the lines or how it should come out or who should win the beat. I wait and see in rehearsal. That's what we discover in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And then we fine-tune it when we discover what works, what doesn't work, and then we form the play around that. So so that is a fifth wall because it's not set in those four walls that mm-hmm. you know what you know where you are. We don't know where we are. And yeah, and what and, and that is allowing something to come in there. And it allows the um, many creative people to um, create a greater whole. Mm-hmm. And initially when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about what is projected from the group and from the play and from the stage. But it's also what is invited into that space by being receptive mm-hmm. in that way. You know, like what what can we conjure, you know? That's really cool. I, it's very, I mean, I've been on a, on a kind of a long trajectory with re, with learning a different way of living my life. And... I have this huge appreciation for how much you have to shut up and listen to other. I'm not very good at practicing it all the time, but I like at least pointing my feet in that direction that I used to be like, yeah, yeah I got this. I, I know what I'm doing. I got it. I know, I know, I know, I know, you know, and that kind of knowing where, yes, I've heard that before, you know, is not the same as really paying attention, listening, getting into actually doing a thing and then the kind of understanding and knowledge that comes from that, you know. And I've only, like, in I'm 44 years old and only in the last five years really come to appreciate that, that I would actually like to go hang out with one of my older relatives and have them show me how to do something and be open, you know. Oh, that's nice. To learning how to do it from them and, and see the value and being taught uh, taught it, but also just the value of not thinking I know everything and that mm-hmm. being teachable, being you know? teachable, learning and learning something new is mm-hmm. always good. It's amazing. I mean, this this is just one of many, a, a really important facet. I never thought about. I didn't. I don't know enough about theater to know that that's the kind of thing that's going on. I I think of the teaching of. acting teachers and and what people are studying as they're just learning how to create illusion you know oh no we're learning to create reality yeah truth yeah and not only to create it but to recognize it Mm -hmm. when it volunteers in front of you Mm -hmm. and to be able to see it and hear it 
and perhaps help to uncover it, you know, brush it off mm-hmm. while it's there. Make it clear. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to, I was telling Morgan I'd like to take that acting class you should i definitely need to i need to listen that would be fun <laughs> <laughs> what what happens it's what's what's the format of it going to be like is it like you're going to teach class is there going to be a play at the end of it or? we work on we work on scenes we work on script but uh i don't know if there'll be a showcase at the end of this one sometimes at the end i do a scene night where everybody performs the scene they've been working on in front of an audience that's always fun have you ever, you said you did one, a play in a coffee shop mm-hmm. back in the day, but is it, is everything you do generally on a stage now with, um, you know, at least with a certain amount of, um, what you, whatever sacred space that is or whatever people bring to recognize when they're sitting in a seat, looking at a stage that they're at a play. Is there pretty much, I've tried outdoor things and nobody can hear and it's hard to get people to focus. So it's pretty much good to have a space it wouldn't have to be on a stage it could be in a coffee shop it could be in a bar in a bar anywhere i think it'd be kind of cool to see some scenes you know short you know vignettish kind of mm-hmm. stuff done out of all of the involved aspect of showing up and in, in getting your seat and you know behaving the way you're supposed to behave in a theater and all of that and to just be in the in the in the environment that people are normally comfortable in this town, which is in a bar. In a bar, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that, that's kind of what going to coalition is like, and I think we're actually going to go there tonight. Have you gone to any of that? No, I haven't. I'll have to do that. It's you know, I mean, again, this is me. There's this um, Herbert Spencer, who's a, a, a spiritual thinker. He said something along the lines that there's a bar against all awareness or learning or. Uh, enlightenment or whatever I'm paraphrasing and that is the principle of contempt prior to investigation and I have had this sort of contempt about improv that is just really annoying people like mimes you know up there just getting in my face and bothering me with trying to be funny like and there's that's this seems to be this need coming off of them to make something happen and I have found it's very relaxed and fun and I'm totally surprised at how much good stuff they come up with out of the blue up there. Like they're, they're pretty good at what they do and I recommend it. I'll go. Go tonight. I have to go to cabaret tonight. What's that? At Triangle Players. Oh, and that's a musical. It's a musical. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I got to check out more. What do you, what do you think I need to see that's going on this summer? I don't, there's, not as much in the well, um, the color purple. Oh yeah, where's that happening? That's at Virginia Rep. Oh wow! I want to see that. Who's in that? Anybody? Uh, that Desiree's you mentioned? in it. Katrina's in it. Is uh, DL? No, in it? DL's no. not in it. He doesn't sing. It's a musical. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Where'd the music come from? Color purple music. Yeah, it's a musical. Has who who wrote the music? I can't tell you. I'm sorry. What kind I forget. Of, what's what's the style of the you I've know? never seen it, so huh. I'm looking forward to it. But it's from the book. It's made. It was adapted from the book. Hmm. It's supposed to be a beautiful. I've actually I have read that book. I read it at VCU when I was in college. But I'm, that's interesting to imagine it with music, and I guess it would be period mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Hmm. Well, what do you are you are you going to Midsummer Nights? Do you do the Shakespeare stuff at all? 
once in a while. Um, I don't know if I'll get to that or not. I'm going to Lithuania in a few weeks. Oh, wow. So I'll be gone for, I'll be gone most of July. I'm going to Lithuania and Michigan and Shepherdstown Theater Festival. So I'll be gone most of the months of July. Wow. Shakespeare. Where, how does that fit into your uh, feelings about... I'm not crazy about Shakespeare, yeah. and I've always admitted it. What I, is it about it that isn't... Um, is there anything, can you put your finger on anything about I it? I don't really get it. I don't understand it. It's a different language. Um, I liked Julius Caesar last year. I liked seeing that, but a lot of it I just don't, I just don't follow. I can't follow. Shows my ignorance. I have to admit something. Um, I didn't either. You know, like most, of, I, in trying to break that language down and understand it the way that I understand the way people normally speak English, um, it just really was convoluted and confusing to me. And I got really stoned one time and went to see uh, the Much Ado About Nothing that Kenneth Branagh did. Mm-hmm. With Emma Thompson. Is it Thompson? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Denzel Washington. And all of these people, and I got like what's it's evocative, you know. It's almost entirely like um, you know metaphorical. It's poetic. It's like it's constantly conjuring your imagination. It's like getting it's making you make pictures out of what is being said more than like understand a line of reasoning or logic. But then that does come out of it. Mm-hmm. But it like it sort of gets at another. Um, it kind of, I think it kind of flouts what language is in a way. Like, I mean, it's sort of like there's two ways of learning music. There's the math way of learning music and the language way of learning music. And this is like the music way of learning language. Hmm. <laughs> like, there's, there's something about, like, I, it's not actually, hard, like, difficult English. It's the, it's the syntax of it that's crazy. And I don't even think that was period syntax. It's just his syntax and his rearranging of the order of words and um the messing with uh the way that you would take for granted things that you think you already know based on a word that you're hearing he would put them he would change words that might be idiomatic even expressions and kind of create his own and they would flow the same way but they would also be it would make you think you know and not take any of it for granted Mm -hmm. and What's that happen for me? I, I find it as like contemporary as I've you know, find contemporary stuff. Like I can really I understand why they do Hamlet over and over again now. Because there really is this this indecision thing. This you know, the ability to look at things from so many different angles and not be able to act and that for that to be your downfall, like, you know, in action, you know, and that even bad actors, at least they're acting, you know. They're doing something, you know, and uh, I think that's a real the lack of commitment on his part, and all of that. there's there's so much in there, you know. It's kind of amazing, but mm-hmm. so you're going to Midsummer Night's Dream. That's my favorite yeah. play, yeah, and it is my favorite play because I'm a romantic, and in that, like, I I grew up reading the C.S. Lewis books, and I like that idea of the. Um, the fairy creatures and all the woodland folk that uh, are out there behind the scenes, you know, that, and, uh, but I saw a version of that done in Central Park in the 80s where William Hurt 
played Oberon and they staged it on a, just sort of a natural um, topographical part of the park. They didn't do it in the amphitheater. They didn't do it in the Right. They, they set it up on... Oh, nice. There was just a hilly area and they set chairs up and the actors were... That was the stage, so they were coming out of trees and, wow. you know. So I, I like that one a lot. Um, but that's uh, that's interesting. We went to see Mal- Maleficent last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I was thinking about, like... Because they, they turned the story on its ear. Um, and it turns out that Maleficent is actually the hero, you know, of this story. And it's kind of messing with the archetype. But I was thinking about what we were painting that why we like fairies and why we like that idea. And, you know, when I was thinking about this back with the, the uh, Greek gods and all of that. Tom Robbins said that, you know, the Greek gods exist to uh, embody various aspects of the of our consciousness you know that they really weren't as primitive as they seem they were projections you know they were there to recognize that we're you know more than just dualistic you know we're definitely not mono there's not just it's not black and white you know it's not one or the other there's a lot of things going into it and um the the old school sort of uh pagan um iconography you know, of, of like Pan and those kinds of people, they're much more integrated. You know, there's it's not we haven't gotten totally removed from nature. We haven't started to idealize a um, a civilization where you're totally cut off from that which is not on a grid and doesn't have a right angle. You know, mm-hmm. and I, after watching that movie last night, I was thinking that what the fairy thing, all of that imaginary stuff. It's this part of us that is resisting being defined by the tools that we have to use in order to function as a society and a civilization that there's some part of us that's always saying, never forget that you're not, you're a natural being. You're not just this thing that has to drive a car on a street and stop at that light, you know, and put on this and put on that, like take all of that off every now and then and recognize that that's, that's just uh, an illusion. And that's the thing we most likely to call reality, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it's a big, like, thing that we've all just agreed on that, you know, just so that we can function, that uh, we're kind of hand over a lot of freedom to it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that was a big speech, Carol. That was, I, yeah, you know. I'm taking it all in. Yeah. Driving down the car. Got to stop. <laughs> yeah, and we got to get out of the car. We got to take off the mm-hmm. take off the disguise, and you know, there's there's some part of us that needs to recognize that we're not these things. You know, we're not just these things. We're made up of all of these we're, components. You know, mm-hmm. that I mean, well, this could get that could just get too deep and wander too far afield (laughs) well thanks for um sitting down with me i um sure my pleasure i really look forward to checking out uh what you and billy christopher are doing going forward and i really am would like to take this acting class how do you sign up for it anyway online i think you can sign up for it now is it through your facebook it's um fifth wall theater we have a website but I mean the class that, the class that you're teaching, is that through it, that? Yes. Okay. So it's part of the Fifth Wall mm-hmm. Theater. Mm-hmm. And is that going to be in a physical space? It's going to be at Tabernacle Church right around the corner okay. here. Okay. Well, cool. Um, yeah, so look, look that up. It's going to be in a mental space. 
What is that? You said, is it going to be in a physical space? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's just completely in another dimension. Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I was wondering if it was going to be at somebody's house, you know, oh, or something like that. That's a good thing to point out. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Curtis. Yeah, see, you can get a whiff of the paint fume brain I was working with there. Is it physical space? No, it's going to be in the nether realms or something. Anyway, yeah. Well, that was still cool, and I'm really glad I got to do it with Carol. Um, Not on my game, as I'd like to be, but whatever. I just got to do more of these. And I have... I got Kyle from the Diamond Center scheduled for this weekend. I've been chasing a bunch of other people. Um, but not chasing them real hard, and I, I really need to get this organized <laughs> and scheduled and all of that, because um, I, I really like doing this when I'm doing it, and I think you guys like it too. So I hear feedback every now and then, and if it's just one person, that's all that matters, right, baby? Well, um, here we are. We're in July, you guys, so we're gonna we got about a month and a half left of this hot stuff to try to stay cool and uh while you're being cool be cool and like you know i got all of the tantric conversations but on itunes now so there's 50 some of them and uh if you dig them if you go in there if you're listening to them and you're not even going to the face my uh page at all you're just getting them downloaded stop by the page sometime there's a button on there it says donate you can kick me a little kick me some ducats you know 20 bucks or something help me out maybe if you guys give me a little bit of money I'll be encouraged and I'll start doing these more often I'll get back into it I'm sure you really give a shit right don't do you any favors right there are lots of other fucking podcasts out there nobody asked me to do this in the first place right right okay kids I'm signing off I hope you enjoyed that Until next time, namaste, motherfuckers. Namaste.